0: Hey, it's Brett. The Monday edition of the Mackling and McGarry 680 CJOB Morning Show podcast is indeed Mackling and McGarry reunited after three weeks apart, although Greg is going on vacation again in two weeks. Today's show, we talked about noisy neighbors. What noises do your neighbors make that drive you nuts in the summer? Also, we're going to talk about storm chasing and tornadoes possible twister ripped through the Arburg area over the weekend. So we'll speak with our resident storm chaser, Tristan Field-Jones. Sasha Baron-Cohen has a new show, a debuted Sunday night on Showtime in the United States and on the movie network in Canada. It's a show called Who Is America? So we'll learn about that. Of course, it is outrageous. And there's a new Mosasaur coming to Morden. All those details coming up. On today's edition of the 680 CJOB Morning Show Podcast.
1: Summer's here. means people are outside mowing their lawns, having outdoor gatherings. Sometimes these things can happen outside of what's considered normal hours. Today we're having coffee, talking about summer, neighbor noises. Kelly Moore is here, Chanelie
0: Vidal, Clay Young, and... Tristan Field-Jones, I'm Greg Mackling. he's Brett McCarry. Kelly, you brought this up in our meeting the other day, so that makes me wonder, is there a
2: particular noise and question that haunts you? <laughs> I don't know who the neighbor is, and there might be more than one, but someone has a hog, mm. as in motorcycle, mm. that uh, I don't think uh, has the proper muffler. Oh, God. <laughs> and... When they fire that thing up in the neighborhood, whether they're riding it or just, you know, revving it up or whatever, God, is it noisy. Trust me, they believe they have the exact perfect muffler. <laughs>
1: yeah, you, might not, you might not think so, but I think it's probably
2: music to their yeah. ears. Yeah. You know, I, I, I get it on the highway or out in the open road and that sort of thing. But, geez, do you have to do that right when you're— beside everybody and
0: i remember like, when i was a kid there my neighbor across the lane had a him and his girlfriend had uh, harley's and i mean it's a beautiful sound but, oh, but at yeah. 5 30 in the morning yeah. they fire them up and then they i don't know if you're supposed to let a bike sit idle for a few minutes to i don't know anything about motorcycles but they would just let it sit there and rumble yeah. for like five ten minutes and then i finally remember just kind of opening the window and just sort of st- I put my arms out and just sort of sat there looking at them indignantly until they happen to notice and I so they didn't said, give you a howdy neighbor they kind of said oh sorry and i said good morning um but yeah it's a nice sound but it, at a certain time of day maybe not so much Yeah we've been uh, downtown a couple
1: of Sunday nights already this summer with the sunroof open and and cruising through downtown on cruise night right and it can get very very yeah. obnoxious down there uh, without any question Clay you uh, get along with your neighbors or, or are you are you a
3: good neighbor? I'm a wonderful neighbor. Hi neighbor. How's it going? <laughs> can I bring you anything? Need some milk? Uh, <laughs> milk. Uh, we got some. Oh, our neighbors are good. Uh, we do have some people behind us who have some dogs that are quite loud, mm-hmm. and they got an ATV that they fire up once mm-hmm. in the backyard. My question is: I'm a early riser, and uh, the grass grows like a weed. So what is the acceptable time to mow your lawn? Because I do early morning shifts on OB. Now, now
1: how early are you cutting your grass?
3: Well, let's say I was up at 8 a.m. and ready to cut the grass at 8 o'clock in the morning. What day of the week? It's a weekday because, you know, I work weekends.
1: Okay, so here you go. Certain activities, this is from the Winnipeg Noise Bylaws, anticipating somebody bringing this up. Certain activities that cause excessive noise within 150 meters of a residential property are restricted before 7 a.m. and after 9 p.m. Monday to Friday, Mm. as well as before 9 a.m. and after 9 p.m. on Saturday, Sunday, and statutory holidays. Mm. So 8 o'clock during the week? You're fine. Don't give it another thought.
3: Sure, but you know what's going to happen? I'm going to go home today because I've been up. Very. Uh, I got up very early this morning. I'm going to have my nap, and the next-door neighbor is going to... <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, he's, to gonna, nap. he's going to start mowing his lawn at 1 o'clock in the morning while I'm trying to have my nap, but he doesn't. 1 right? o'clock in the afternoon. I mean 1 o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon. Thank you.
2: Thank <laughs> Which you. is perfectly acceptable according to the Winnipeg bylaws.
0: I was surprised to learn 7 a.m. Was the, was the rule. I would have thought that, that even that would be a little unreasonable. I know that we're most... Many people are up and at them already, but 7 o'clock seems a little early to cut the grass. I
1: wouldn't disagree with that. I think 7 is a little bit early. Shanley, uh, you cut your grass at 7 o'clock in the morning
2: or what? Uh, I- <laughs> Did she cut her grass? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's on my
0: to-do list. And, and yeah, but I don't have a problem with anyone cutting their grass in the morning. It doesn't make, it's not that loud and it's pretty easy to tune out and somebody's not going to be mowing their lawn for an hour because uh, lawns are pretty small in my neighborhood. But the thing that gets me is that there's been a lot of construction on houses in my neighborhood, uh, like neighbor across the lane, they've subdivided building a new house And so, you know, sometimes that's going on, like, when I get home from work at 12.30, it's hard to take a nap because your house is shaking from all the construction. So that's the thing that gets me. Yeah, there's something about the lawnmower. I find that sound kind of soothing. I guess I just associate it with summer, right? Yeah, the
2: smell of cutting grass. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, There's always the sound and the smell, the sound of a gas mower. Um, But uh, what about people who have like a do you have neighbors who have parties in the yard or whatever Greg? Yeah, I have the best neighbors in the world and I know they're all listening this morning
1: <laughs> <laughs> I really do well, we have terrific neighbors across the street uh, beside and behind us so we're very fortunate that way no parties are really a non-issue in our neighborhood uh, we've been there for almost 10 years and not once do I ever remember there being ever being a, a party you know some people have pools and in our neighborhood, and people are really chill about that. The only thing we had one time was a little bit of a domestic one of the parents went away, and a young woman, she was in her late teens, nah. her and her boyfriend having an argument in the street in the middle of the night. Uh, other than that, in 10 years, it's really always ha- we've had.
2: Yeah, when, you know, w- oh, sorry, I was just gonna say with what Chantalise said roofers have to do their job really, really early before it gets too hot in oh. the shingles. So th- that that's a sound I've heard, you know, that tack, 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 you know, yeah, tack. That's a like great the, sound, yeah. too. I love that sound.
0: Yeah, it all sounds great unless you're trying to sleep through it, right? Oh, of
2: course.
0: We just got a text here from Tim. What is he saying? Tristan, if I say to you, mamatus clouds at the Gold Eyes game Saturday, does that make any, does that ring any bells?
4: Yes, uh, the pronunciation would be mamatus. Mamatus, pardon yes. me. Those are clouds that basically look like little cotton balls that you see underneath uh, what we refer to as the anvil, so kind of the upper part of severe storms, and you'll see them, they're, they're quite remarkable, and they're relatively rare, because you need a, a storm of a particular shape and intensity to produce that. But yeah there were lots of pics on Twitter on Saturday of the those cotton ball like clouds that were all over Winnipeg. So, so
0: th- sorry Greg th- when you see these clouds does that mean a storm is coming?
4: It means a storm is nearby. It doesn't necessarily mean a storm is coming because what happens is with these types of storms, they're referred to as, uh, more often than not, it's because of supercell storms. So basically large storms that rotate. And the anvil, the top part of it, can extend for such a, a large area that it may never hit you. you. May not You may not even get a drop of rain, but you could still see these formations because of the size of... Uh, of, of these storms, of these systems. That's why we work so well together. That's exactly the question I was going
1: to ask Tristan. And so we saw some severe weather, including up near Arborg, right? A uh, family living near Arborg said a small twister touched down and tore through their farm Saturday
0: night, knocking down trees and throwing heavy equipment around the property. Yeah, Darcy Tim Chishin with Tim Chishin Seed Farms said the storm took down several trees, knocked over tools, dented bins on his property. You can read more on this at cjob.com. His wife, Marcy, and their two young kids were watching inside the home in fear. And at last, we're at Environment Canada still working to confirm if a twister actually did touch down. Uh, so, Tristan, you go out and chase storms. I was actually going to text you on Saturday to find out if you, because I know, I'm just looking at the radar, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you had your eyes on the radar, I was checking it early in the day and there was nothing, and then suddenly there was this... There was this thin but like mostly red line that extended down I think it like South Dakota that kind of if you were to draw like a like a 45 degree angle sort of uh towards the up and to the right that was uh making its way very quickly across South Dakota, North Dakota and Manitoba uh, but it it, man, it like broke off it was like Noah was standing at the edge of Winnipeg and or Gandalf and was saying you shall not pass <laughs> and scattered it to the north and south of Winnipeg but uh Where I guess you were here Saturday for the bomber game. Yeah,
4: I was producing the bomber game. Had it not been for that, I would have been out uh, chasing for sure. And and what happened there is uh, like those of your thunderstorm watches extended from basically the international border all the way up to Thompson because this whole area was flooded with with a lot of uh, humid air, and there was a cold front that was slicing through. So, you know, if you remember anything about, uh, uh, you may remember the precipitation cycle and you're you're in school, what happens is essentially you put a cold front with warm, humid air and inevitably you'll get storms. And in this case, and, and, you know, Brett, you describe it very well, you draw like a 45 degree line and, you know, go from basically Lake Winnipeg all the way across into North Dakota, even bits of South Dakota, that was basically where the cold front was and where it was sparking up these storms. And as we know, Saturday was very, very humid.
1: Yeah, it now, was muggy. The, the funny thing about tornado, what, what was the song? What's the song? If a tree falls in the forest, was that uh, Bruce Coburn sang that song? And it's a saying, right? Does, if it falls in the forest, nobody hears, you know, does it make a noise type of thing? With tornadoes, one may touch down, but if that sort of phenomenon touchdowns, touches down and doesn't do any damage, they don't necessarily categorize it as a tornado how does that work so and
4: and what happens and and that's a great point greg because what happens is canada is particularly sparsely populated and some of our technology especially when it comes to weather detection and it's being upgraded as we speak isn't as advanced or as precise as some of the stuff south of the border uh in fact there was one study i believe was from the university of toronto that said that you know on average canada we report i think about 80 tornadoes every year they think the actual number may be four times that because mm. of the fact of the matter is we we have such sparsely populated areas and and you mentioned a good point northwestern Ontario is prone to tornadoes but the problem is that if you've taken if you've driven there for five seconds you know there's it's it's incredibly hilly there are trees all over the place so there are times where you could actually be looking at a storm that's producing a tornado and if we're on the prairies you'd be able to see it no problem but if you've got a, a 50 60 foot tree in front of you there's no way you're seeing that And, you know, we we use the case in Arburg here as an example. Uh, strong winds can also do that type of damage as well. You have to look at the wind pattern. I mean, when when they send out uh, survey teams, one of the first things they look at is the wind pattern. So straight line winds will always result in trees or objects pushed in one direction. Whereas if a tornado touches down, you'll see stuff exactly. That's that's circular. Mm-hmm. So it's it's tough to tell based off of a couple of pictures whether or not it was a tornado. It's pretty easy to conclude based off of that though that there were some very powerful winds in the area so it's it's you know it's it's a matter of what exactly caused the damage and if it's a tornado then they'll figure out what type of rating to give it
0: hopefully not too much damage or hopefully it doesn't take too long for the Tim tempticians to clean up got a question here tristan uh uh maybe you would know this uh, you have an iphone right uh, yes, sir. Okay. Well, uh, the text question is, can you ask your weather guy what's a good app to follow weather on Android? I have an Android phone. I have the Weather Network app as well as AccuWeather. I like them both. Do you have a weather app that you use on Apple? Uh,
4: I use, it's called Weather Underground. I also believe it's uh, used uh, on Android too. It's a, it's a really good app because it actually takes, and we have a weather station here at, the, here, uh, at uh, CJOB, it takes data from weather stations across the city because normally Environment Canada has here the forks and the. Airport, but it also uses weather data from a bunch of civilian stations, too. So you can actually look at that and get a much more precise. Uh, idea of the weather. And I it also, it's also really good. I, I feel as if the way it presents its radar is a lot more, it's a lot more clearer and easier to understand than if you just go to the Environment Canada website. So it's just, it's actually just W underground, one word, if you look it up. I know for sure uh, it's on the App Store for Apple. It's most likely on Android too. And what's great about it is that it takes these civilian stations from around the world, so oh, nice. So you can anywhere in the U S anywhere, I think I'm pretty sure most places in Europe too. So it's, it's really handy for, for that sort of thing.
1: Well, I got a bunch of friends in the construction business and they get these rain alarms. Right. And then I think that's the app that they use because uh, more stations, more measurement, obviously better. And a great picture here. Thank you for, to Rob for uh, pictures here of hail, which looks basically like snow accumulation up near the narrows, oh, which wow. is, uh, you know, up on uh, Lake Manitoba. So thanks for those. Keep, uh, Sending in your pictures and your comments and your questions. Appreciate it
0: very much. It's Macklin McGarry. Did you see Scott's question? Scott has a question for you, Tristan. Hey, speaking of <laughs> yes. environment and climate change, Canada, <laughs> did they ever confirm it was a tornado in the Wizard of Oz? I,
4: I cannot answer that because I simply wasn't there, and I don't know if the appropriate measurements or the—I don't even know what the storm survey teams. That was had Kansas, to say. so it has nothing to yeah, do. Exactly, with that. Environment Canada wouldn't have anything. I don't think so.
0: I suppose a lot of people are asking the question how to prevent being pranked by Sasha Baron-Cohen.
1: I would think you're correct. Sasha Baron-Cohen is back, Brett, in multiple characters, and he is embarrassing some very high-profile politicians, decision-makers, and advocates. Last night's first episode of 7 of Who is America? featured a look at a unique, albeit fictitious, program from Israel... That puts guns into the hands of the good guys, children to be specific. It's called Kinder Guardians. <laughs> it's very creative. <laughs> yes, well, he's, if nothing else, Sasha Baron Cohen is creative. Now, disguised as somebody called Aaron Morad, Cohen gets an audience with multiple gun advocates and political leaders who have a history of supporting the NRA. The ability of Cohen to get these individuals to advocate for a program that puts a gun in the hands of children as young as three years old is beyond startling.
5: A lot of in shootings America in God, been, and in the university. What do the liberals say is the reason for this and the solution? Now, Philip Van Cleve is president
1: of the Virginia Citizens Defense League.
6: Well, they blame it on guns. Yeah, ah, it's crazy ah, ah. because They people... blame it on the guns? Yes.
5: Mm-hmm. Yes. It's mm-hmm. It is. We start a program in Israel for kindergartens. Okay. We train them from the age 16 down to the age 3.
6: Yeah, well, I, I think it would be a, a, a good idea. We, we've been pushing something along this line for years, but really haven't gotten any traction with it. We were thinking 7th or 8th grade. You're talking much younger than that.
0: Sasha Baron Cohen as Murad, then goes on to film with Philip Van Cleve a so called instructional video for the Kindergarten program with the help of Van Cleve. Here's how that sounds
5: Shalom, children. My name is Ran Morad. I'm here to show you that guns, when used responsibly, with training from grown-ups can help keep you safe in your school. Here to help teach you is Philip Van Cleve. Not every strange man you meet gonna be friendly and non-threatening like me.
6: Today, we're gonna to teach you how you can stop these naughty men and have them take a long nap. That's right, and that's
5: why you're going to meet a friend of mine. His name is Papi Pistol. <laughs> Now, Philip, will you show us how to feed Puppy Pistol?
6: To feed him, take his lunchbox and push it into his tummy, like this. Just remember to point Puppy Pistol's mouth right at the middle of the bad man.
1: Now, how about a little nursery rhyme for good measure?
6: And at the head, shoulders, not the toes, not the toes. Fire! Head, shoulders, not the toes, not the toes. Fire! Eyes, ears, and belly, and nose, head, shoulders, not the toes, not the toes. Fire!
0: With the endorsement of Van Cleave, it would appear Cohen had some credibility with some lawmakers and lobbyists in Washington.
5: Now that I had a common sense training video, it was time to take it to the nation's capital. I just arrived in Washington to see if someone will back my kindergarten program. I needed to find politicians who would fight for the Second Amendment right of toddlers to bear firearms at preschool. So I met with lobbyist Larry Pratt, director of Gun Owners of America, which have 1.5 million brave members.
7: Evil's in our hearts, not in the guns. Do you think the liberals are using these school shootings to further their anti-tragedy agenda? They're trying, but it's, it's not that hard to find a student who does think that way because that's what they're being taught in the schools.
5: We actually found out that in schools, it's not only important to arm the teachers, it's important to arm certain gifted children. Oh, that's great. We train from
7: 16-year-old uh, up to four years old. This segment of the conversation would absolutely cause heads to explode here in this country. Why, because Not they would be shot or? Uh, because that they're uh, they're so prejudiced against young people having guns, and especially in a school.
1: Now, Sasha Burn Cohen went on to meet several more influential former and current congressmen. Now, at least one of them had some good sense. Here's Florida Congressman Matt Getz.
6: You want me to say on television that I support three and four-year-olds with firearms? Is that what you're asking me to do? Uh, yes. You can do Typically, members doing. of Congress don't just hear a story about a program and then indicate whether they support it or not.
3: I support the Kindergartens program. We in America would be wise to implement it, too. It's something that we should think about in America, about putting guns in the hands of law-abiding citizens, good guys, whether they be teachers or whether they actually be uh, talented children or highly trained preschoolers. Well, perhaps
0: Getz should have shared his wisdom with former Senate Majority Leader Trent Lott, whom you heard at the end of that clip speaking in support of the program.
1: Congressman from California, uh, Dana Robacher, South Carolina Congressman Joe Wilson, and former Congressman Joe Walsh of Indiana, or Illinois, rather, all found themselves saying
7: things I'm sure they're regretting today. The intensive three-week kindergarten course introduces... Specially selected children from 12 to 4 years old to pistols, rifles, semi-automatics, and a rudimentary knowledge of mortars. In less than a month, less than a month, a first grader can become a first Grenader. Toddlers are pure, uncorrupted by fake news or homosexuality. They don't worry if it's politically correct to shoot a mentally deranged gunman. They'll just do it. The science behind this program is proven. At age four, a child processes images 80% faster than an adult, meaning that essentially like owls, they can see in slow motion. Children under five also have elevated levels of the pheromone Blink-182 produced by the part of the liver known as the Rita Ara. This allows nerve reflexes to travel along the Cardi B neural pathway to the Weez Khalifa 40% faster. Saving time and saving lives. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Cardi B to the Wiz Khalifa. Yes, Larry Pratt. That's
1: exactly all factual. That's all the research proves all this. Larry Pratt, executive director. And I love the fact that this is in his title Emeritus Gun, gun Owners of America, who clearly vets everything he reads in the form of a PSA or endorsement. <laughs> Uh, Follow my train of thought here for a minute, Brett. Okay. I'm wondering if Ben Stiller has been spotted in the Morden area. Mm, I know where you're going with this. Night at the museum, right? After the museum closes, all sorts of crazy stuff happens. Yep.
0: Are the fossils procreating in Morden? We need to find out. Manitoba's family of mosasaurs is getting bigger. The Canadian Fossil Discovery Centre in Morden is home to Bruce and Susie. And now they are welcoming a new addition later this month. They even sent out a really uh, cute kind of uh, baby shower-esque invitation <laughs> where they've shaped the mosasaurs into the shape of a heart. It's quite adorable. To tell us about it. We're joined live on 680 CJOB by Peter Cantillon, Executive Director for the Canadian Fossil Discovery Centre in Morden. Peter, good morning to you. Hey, good morning as well to you. So Peter, does that make you a grandpa? Like, what's,
1: what's the deal? How's the pecking order work over there?
8: Probably more of a removed cousin of some sort. (laughs) Well, congratulations. Uh, Either way, so tell us about this new
1: addition, and and where did it come from?
8: Well, we're really excited for this. Uh, It's a new mosasaur. It's a smaller mosasaur than Bruce and Susie, and it's a very unique and rare type of mosasaur. Its fossils have only been found in Canada and in Japan. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, because of that, and because of some really unique features, it's got some really interesting teeth, and uh, again, its size make it very compelling, and we're super excited to add it to the, uh, to the, to the tanks of mosasaurs that we've got right now. This is more of a, like a little Porsche.
0: So how do the, uh, the teeth on this mosasaur, how are they different than Bruce and Susie?
8: Sure. So, Bruce and Susie have teeth very similar to a crocodile's teeth. They're conical. Uh, of course, theirs are much larger, and uh, they're meant primarily for just biting down and holding until they can get that prey back into their throat and swallow it with this particular mosasaur, which is called a Corsodon puntlegensis, and that just means uh, the uh, razor-toothed mosasaur of the Puntledge River, which is where it was found in British Columbia. Uh, its teeth are compressed laterally. So basically, what that means is they're from front to back, uh, they're lined up in its jaw, and they're much uh, much narrower. They're not cone shaped. They've got edges on the front and back of them, and that likely just means that their diet was different. And they ate different things than the average mosasaur.
1: So, so tell us about how this. How this fossil was discovered because Peter obviously not this is not in an area that we would typically expect to find this type of fossil
8: no I you know in the uh, where it was found in British Columbia is fairly well known for uh, fossil um, and fossil evidence and an amateur paleontologist uh, was uh, hunting along the banks of the puntledge river and rivers are actually not bad places uh, to find fossils if you're in the right geology because of erosion riverbanks expose all kinds of interesting things and so at one point while this fellow was walking along he saw a portion of fossil poking out of the riverbank uh he exposed it removed it uh, and the uh, shorter answer is he got other paleontologists involved from the area. And over a period of actually quite a few years, they actually, they didn't get back to the site for about five or six years. And thankfully, the rest of the most were still in, intact and in place. And they removed it from that point on.
1: Now, my, my British Columbia geography is usually pretty good. And I'm trying to place this river. It's on Vancouver Island.
8: That's right. Absolutely, and that's kind of interesting in the way it makes sense that the only other place that this fossil was found was in Japan. So what you have to imagine is, well, we're, we're typically finding fossils in Manitoba is the, uh, uh, the, the, the western interior seaway that runs through the center of North America back in the Cretaceous period. During this time, we're talking about a mosasaur found on the, the western coast of the landmass that was North America, and then there's another sea, which is now our modern Pacific Ocean. And so you have a Mosasaur that basically uh, lived in this kind of aquatic environment between Japan and, uh, and Vancouver Island.
0: Now, this particular uh, fossil that's making its way over, how is it transported? Does it get transported in, in pieces or just in a giant crate?
8: Okay, so what happened was the original creators of the replicas, uh, the molds that are made based on the actual fossils, so we take these fossils, we immerse them in a liquid latex, and that turns into a fantastic mold that gives us an identical uh, replica, because you don't typically want to put the fossils on display. It's difficult to uh, research and remove and things like that. those molds were sent to us. So we now own those molds. They were donated to the CFDC. And with those molds, we have local talent who has been working in uh, replicating fossils for about 20 years now. Uh, a company called Dino Kinetics worked with us to put this together. So we actually built it right here in Morden
1: fascinating stuff, Peter. Now, so I like the fact that you're giving us lots of notice for this celebration coming up a week from Wednesday. Tell us uh, the details so people can make their plans to come and see you.
8: Well, they definitely have to get down here, if for no other reason than the free refreshments. But no. <laughs> of course, they're here. To, they're coming down to see this fantastic new Mosasaur. Uh, it'll be at 1 o'clock on July 25th. And uh, what they'll see is this great new different looking mosasaur that they can see in the same environment as Bruce and Susie. It's in the same room. They'll be able to compare differences because beyond the teeth, the body has some differences to it. The skull is oriented differently. There's all kinds of interesting things uh, that they'll be able to uh, to to get a look at while they're down here. And of course, they'll be able to celebrate with us because like you mentioned, this is We've we've marketed this as an adoption, Bruce and Susie, for obvious reasons. We're not able to have children, uh, but adopting's fine. And in fact, this isn't a child. It's smaller, but it's a a full-grown adult uh, mosasaur of a different size.
0: Peter Cantillon, do you know what you're going to name this mosasaur?
8: Well, we haven't, uh, we haven't talked too much about that yet, but uh, Chorissodon can be turned into all kinds of interesting names, and so we're hoping the public will uh, offer some ideas. Maybe they'll email us. They can go to our website at discoverfossils.com, or they can let you guys know, and you can let us know as well.
0: Peter Candelon, Executive Director for the Canadian Fossil Discovery Centre in Morden, where they are getting ready to welcome a new addition to the family. Bruce and Susie are adopting a new mosasaur. Hey, it's Brett. Thanks for listening to CJOB Mornings On Demand. If you like what you hear, take a minute to rate the show, leave us a review, and tell a friend about the podcast. And for more after the story, tune in to 680 CJOB Mornings weekdays from 6 to 10 a.m.